Hey, I want to kick off today by thanking Arnab Kadri for supporting Ontario Loud on Patreon. Arnab went to patreon.com slash ontarioloud or ontarioloud.ca and hit that Patreon link and subscribed. Arnab, your support helps us cover costs, bring on volunteers, advertise, basically everything we do that requires dollars. So thank you so much for that. It will directly help us be a better pod. If you want to support our, if you're listening and you haven't supported Ontario Loud on Patreon, what are you waiting for? I say this at the top of every pod. You should just go right now, pause. It'll still be here when you come back and subscribe today. Welcome to Ontario Lab, a podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs had between recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin. I'm Alexi White. And I'm Sam Andre. And on today's episode, we are going to take a look at what the Ontario government has been doing with the province's patchwork of employment and training programs and services. You may have heard that the government wants to integrate our various employment services to, quote, create one efficient, cost-effective system that's easy to use, helps all job seekers, and supports employers. Well, that sounds great. But what are these employment services slated for integration? How will the new system work? And will the people using these services be better off after the dust settles? Here to help us with all of these important questions is one of our favorite Ontario Loud guests, Grima Talar Kapoor. Grima, welcome back to Ontario Loud. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Grima is the Director of Policy and Research at Maitri, where she recently authored an excellent paper on this very subject uh, called System Transformation in Ontario Works, Considerations for Ontario. And before we jump into it, I want to... Grima. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those, uh, grab your attention, everyone's looking for considerations for Ontario. Uh, we are, at the very least, quite earnestly at Ontario Lab. So before we jump into it, a quick primer for those who aren't steeped in this particular policy area. Ontario has a number of employment programs tailored to groups of people with different needs, but two are much larger than the others and thus must form the most major part of any integration project. First, Employment Ontario. It's a one-stop shop for employment help, whether you're looking for a training program, need to build skills, want to get connected with work opportunities in your community. So like, imagine if the company you're working for closed your branch or factory and you're looking for a new job before your EI runs out, Employment Ontario will probably be where you show up for help. Structurally, uh, it actually doesn't deliver services. It's a network of local agencies that receive contract funding from the provinces. So it's not like everyone that works for is actually helping you find a job in an Employment Ontario offices as an employee of the province. They're just under the umbrella and brand of Employment Ontario, who I guess have standards and services for these contracts. So it's a little bit disjointed. As a province, we spend somewhere in the range of $700 million a year on the full suite of Employment Ontario programs, with most of that going to services, literacy, basic skills, and youth jobs. The second large major employment support program in Ontario is one offered through Ontario Works. Ontario Works, uh, you might be familiar with, it is Ontario's primary welfare program supporting in any given month about 400,000 of the most uh, in need Ontarians who are considered employable. Um, so if you are not considered employable, chances are you are due to health or disability reasons, you're going to be on ODSP. Um, Ontario Works is for those who are seeking employment. Importantly, this is a different clientele than you might find at your average employment Ontario office. People in, on Ontario Works are among the most vulnerable people in the province and often face multiple barriers to employment. And that is why the government felt it was so necessary to clarify that it will provide, quote, 
wraparound supports to help vulnerable social assistance recipients address barriers and access employment services. So Grima, I'm hoping you can help us maybe like set the stage a little bit. Uh, your paper looks at employment services integration from the perspective of Ontario Works. The model in most people's heads is I think unemployed person plus job training equals new job. Is this an accurate view? And what are the labor market prospects for people who are receiving Ontario Works today? Thanks for that intro, Chris. And thanks for having me again. I think that this is a really important subject area. And I think that first, it's important for us to sort of think about what it means to be on social assistance or welfare in Ontario today. In Ontario and across pretty much across the country, um, there's this idea that to reduce dependency on social assistance or on welfare, uh, we really need to think about the, the rates that are provided to people. And so you'll have policymakers and economists often talk about the trade-offs between the amount of income support that is provided to people and their likelihood to be incentivized to get a job and leave support. And I'd say that that rhetoric has sort of guided the development of social assistance legislation in the province and ensuing policies. But I think it's important to sort of look at the evidence now and actually assess whether that bears out in the evidence. From 2006 to 2016, the Ontario works rates for a single adult living in poverty increased by 30%. And in 2016, the maximum rate or income support level that was available to a single adult working age person receiving Ontario works was 36% of the low income measure. So barely unlivable and meets no definition of adequacy at all. And so if the rates are so, so low, one would imagine that the incentives for people to find work are extremely high, and therefore the incentives to leave Ontario Works and get a job are also high. But we're not seeing that. Only 9% of Ontario Works adults are in employment. And so there's something about the actual labor market, and I think increasingly housing, and our understanding of illnesses and how that affects one's income level and vice versa. And that relationship vice versa is important to examine. In recent years, we've been talking a lot in the province and again across the country around the impacts of precarious employment in in the province. And I I think that that the labor market started changing well before the 90s. And so by the time we got to 1997, when Ontario Works was created, the idea of creating and legislating a program that was going to be temporary and a last resort for people was sort of philosophized as in being this basic support mechanism that would eventually not be needed by by people who at one point need it because the economy is going to be strong enough and the labor market is going to be strong enough for people to move off of support. But if we look at the trends in 1976, about 35% of jobs in Ontario were goods producing or manufacturing. And these jobs were more routine, manual. You didn't need a post-secondary education to work in these jobs, but they were unionized. You had good wages. You had uh, non-compensation benefits like health benefits and pensions. And since the 70s, those types of jobs have decreased in Ontario. So by 1997, we had 25% of jobs were in the manufacturing sector. And by 2018, that decreased to 20%. Now, one-fifth of jobs 
are in goods producing services. But back in the day, we were at about a third. And that makes a huge difference in the types of jobs that are available out there. Increasingly, and we're seeing this with jobs that are seen to be higher skilled or require higher level of education, tend to have higher wages and salaries associated with them. And so if you are somebody who might be at the bottom end of the labor market with few labor market recognized skills, your propensity to find good paying jobs is low. And the way that the labor market is functioning now, you're not only seeing a bifurcation and inequality in the skills that people need, but those inequalities in skills for the jobs are mirrored by the wages that people are afforded. And so when we think of globalization, automation, all of these things that affect the labor market, it's really people at the bottom end, people that are at most risk of of being impacted by these massive forces affecting our labor market that need support from social assistance. Yeah. And before we move on from this to what the government is doing, I, I think it's, we were talking a little about this before we started recording, worth reflecting on um, how the system got to where it is now um, and why it is so out of whack with what the actual lived experience of a person might be. You know, Ontario Works got its name in the 90s when the Harris government w- uh, was elected and very much on the explicit idea that you should not be dependent on social assistance for anything that social assistance is about finding a job. And it's something that you've heard the current minister say, or I guess not the current minister, the former first Ford minister, Lisa McLeod say over and over that, you know, the best social assistance is a job and the system in so many ways is geared to pushing people out of it that, you know, you know, not an accident, the the way that it is uh, set up right now. Yeah. And, I, and I'm wondering like if, if the government did want to sort of change the system in a way that would actually meet some of these challenges that you just outlined, you know, what would some of the assumptions it would need to make about people be? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a couple of years ago, the Auditor General of Ontario did her value for money audit in Ontario Works. And some of those, those findings were, I think, really important in trying to understand what is happening and the barriers that people are facing. The Ontario General found that 90% of caseworkers in municipalities across Ontario said that mental health and addictions were the biggest barriers to employment for lots of people. About 36% of the Ontario Works caseload, at that time that was about 100,000 people, um, cited mental health um, as their as their own biggest barrier to, to finding work. And 20% of the Ontario Works caseload was exempt from actually participating in employment and training um, service requirements that Ontario Works already has because people faced such high barriers to work. And I think that that the recognition already exists amongst the sector, especially amongst the frontline workers that day in and day out are responsible for not only trying to understand the situation of the clients that they're trying to support, but also administering the very indignant, the way in which the government sort of structures and the bureaucracy around Ontario Works. And what's important about the government's proposed reforms is what I what really got us into thinking about this was less about the employment and training services side of things, but first we were interested in their push to 
promote and support and figure out wraparound supports uh, services for social assistance recipients. And so for that cohort of people for whom the barriers are just so extreme that no type of employment and training services will actually support you or support them in getting into work, um, ensuring that people have access to safe, secure, and adequate shelter, ensuring that people have access to the mental health services that they may need, ensuring that people have access to childcare and affordable childcare so that they can go find work are all really important parts of the broken system that we have now. And what I thought was compelling, and perhaps if the government really leans into this, is that the wraparound supports model or life stabilization, as they call it, is the best part of their proposed reforms. Of course, it's also the part with zero detail. Um, and and it as it appears with zero plan for actually moving forward on. So that's a good segue maybe into what the government is doing right now. Ontario Works Employment Supports are provided by 47 different municipal service managers across the province. How do these services get integrated into Employment Ontario? And what structure is imagined that would support service delivery at the local level um, by the government right now? Yeah. So it's a bit confusing, but in the integration between the 47 municipalities or CMSMs and DSABs um, into Employment Ontario, the government is hoping to create 15 different regional areas or catchment areas that they're calling. And these 15 catchment areas would be managed by service system managers or SSMs. Um which would be picked not because they already have an expertise in Ontario in delivering them, but because they have won an RFP process. And so this competitive process that the government will be, will be developing will be open to not just uh, municipalities and nonprofit organizations, but also for-profit organizations, many of which on the shortlist for the government's current call for proposals include international conglomerates, um, which are active in Australia and the UK and the US. There are some in Ontario already in providing services around the Ontario drug benefit, for example, which is more transactional in nature. But in in any case, these SSMs would be responsible for managing this new and hopefully improved employment and training services system. And their job would be to work with the 47 municipalities and the municipalities would retain their sort of work around taking in clients in in social assistance, assessing their needs, providing them with income support. But once a municipality assesses somebody's needs, a client would be streamed into stream A, stream B, or stream C. And if you're in stream A, you've been recognized to have low risk of long-term employment. If you're in stream B, you're at medium risk of long-term employment. And if you're in stream C, you're at high risk of long-term unemployment. And so theoretically, um, the CMSMs would then take these clients and provide services based off of their assessed needs and build employment action plans based off of the assessed needs for clients. 
I, I want to make sure that we got all that and recap that because that's that's complicated but really important just to make sure I have it straight. So the currently you have a bunch of municipalities delivering Ontario Works and you have a separate employment Ontario network that is um, regionally based with a bunch of service contracts to different agencies on the ground. Those two things would be combined now under a new set of 15 service managers and those would basically take the role of what the government is doing now in coordinating uh, service delivery across each region and they would take in people who are identified through a screening process that they themselves do not control but the, the municipalities would control and based on that screening process the individual would be directed to different services not necessarily provided by those system service managers, but by people they then subcontract within their their region to provide those services. Is that correct? Yep, that's spot on. Can I just make an observation that this seems to be exactly what people were freaking out about when the government rolled out its healthcare plan, like I- integration, privatization, um, taking uh, public agencies, and like there was such a public freakout from the NDP, from the Liberals, from like people generally that the government needed to clarify over and over that that wasn't its goal. And yet in this sector, it seems to be much more explicit. And like, where is the political attention to it? I, um, uh, we've talked about this a number of times on the show, but I think it's worth stopping and noting for a second, just like the different level of emphasis we place on different levels of different types of policy and um, how that emphasis just tends to be so much lower on people who are the most vulnerable. Uh, and I think it's sad. Maybe ask a question, though, because I think the system as it stands in the status quo, I think, is well understood to not be functioning very well. And to call it a system would even be charitable. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of individual actors being funded through a common framework. And so, like, is there is this approach, you think, at least an attempt to create some governance and coherence and system thinking done poorly? Or do you think... Like, what would be better to create, you know, a bit more of a systems approach where, you know, the government has a line of sight into the individual um, and can make some positive change? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No, I think um, I think the question first is, well, what is the goal for reform? And so if we've established that this idea that people can be rapidly reinstated into the labor market for a significant chunk of the social assistance caseload is just not viable. Uh, The way in which we sort of identify or our goals and what success looks like will need to change accordingly. And so under the current model, if the only um, measure of success is is somebody found a job a week after stepping into a service provider's office, that's one measure of success. But if another measure of success is ensuring that there is active, that people are feeling better, that people are accessing some level of safe and secure housing, um, and people's well-being is first being prioritized so that they've got a, a foundation upon which then they can seek and find work is a different type of measure and it's a different program. And so if it's just the former, I think ironically, if it's just about finding employment and that's the measure of success, this government is creating a layer of administration that currently does not exist. Um, and the it does not bear out in the evidence 
compared to international jurisdictions, that such an approach actually creates systems level thinking. Because you've got disparate types of service system managers, again, they could be public entities, for-profit entities, non-for-profit entities. The bottom lines in which these companies then measure um, what types of supports are provided to people, the intensity of support that is provided to people will be different. And so you could be in a municipality that neighbors two different catchment areas and or two people with the exact same um, level of need in two different catchment areas could get very different um, treatment. And so for drawing a comparison to the, the health system, um, you know, you go into your care provider. In this case, it would be the municipality. Your needs are triaged um, like they are in healthcare. And then a treatment plan is developed for you. Except in healthcare, we kind of know what who those service providers work for and what their bottom line is. Their bottom line is to get you well. Um, In this, people will be triaged, a treatment plan will be created. And then depending on where you live, the service system manager that you have could have very different um, outcomes and objectives that they're trying to get at and bottom lines that they're trying to achieve. And so... The treatment plan may be the same across the province, but the actual outcomes could vary significantly, not just because of the service system manager in itself, but also because of everything that happens around a local economy. However, if the the goal of the province, which is charitable um, and generous in my view, but if I were to advise, and I'd say, you know, Ontario Works needs a a two-system objective. It's not just finding people. It's not just helping people um, land back on their feet, but it's also creating that that life stabilization foundation that they're talking about. And if you want to go down that route, you really need to think about the types of services that are locally available in, in regions and communities across the province. And we all know that that looks very different across the province. If you're in downtown Toronto and you're treatment plan or your employment action plan or comprehensive intake assessment, whatever they call it, um, the services available to you will look very different than whether you live in Belleville or whether if you live in North Bay or Thunder Bay. And, and if that is their goal, then investments in public services are what we need. Um, and I'm not sure that that's where this government's going to go. So um, maybe as a, as, as a last question, where are we at right now in this process? The government has announced a goal. Uh, uh, it is marching down that goal with varying levels of detail on different parts of their plan. Um, as observers of this, um, and for folks who might want to advocate uh, and make some change uh, on this issue, what should we be keeping our eyes on in the coming months? Yeah, Um the government was is supposed to start a pilot process. So they've selected three communities across the province. That's Peel Region, Niagara, Hamilton, and Muskoka Kawarthas. And so a three-year pilot program is supposed to start in these communities. And after three years, the system will be will be transferred to the entire province. Um, the service system managers for these three uh pilot areas were supposed to have been announced in January, or the process should have started in January 
and we haven't heard anything publicly yet. And so I think that is something that I'm certainly looking at Ontario Newsroom every morning to see if there's any updates on an announcement there being made. I think that locally, we should really be paying attention to what our municipalities are saying and whether they think that this will impact um, their work and how it will impact their work and the level of funding that um, they see either moving from from municipalities out to the service system managers because municipalities will no longer be responsible for providing employment and training services to people receiving social assistance. Um, And to understand that impact at a local level, I think is really important for us to understand. Um, I think in terms of low-hanging fruit, um, there's a, a huge opportunity to do some of this life stabilization work by integrating with the Ontario health team model. Um, healthcare transformation is happening really, really fast. And I'm worried that you're going to have three massive transformations take place in public health, in healthcare, and in social assistance. And instead of trying to integrate all of these systems, we're actually going to create more silos because we're not thinking about these three transformations together and comprehensively and holistically. And so if we really do think that wraparound services uh, require um, some further research and understanding and investment, there is an opportunity through the Ontario Health Team model to introduce social services as part of the care providers so that if somebody does end up in a hospital um, and needs support or any other care provider, healthcare provider, and that care provider sees that somebody could benefit from social services to help improve their health outcomes. I think that's something that we can really pay attention to. That's similar to the the challenge of social assistance reform at large. I mean, the as I think as Sam sort of alluded to in his question, like it, we do need to do something about employment supports in Ontario. There is a patchwork system that um, that isn't uh, coherent in any way. Uh, we've talked about employment. Uh, works employment services, but there's. I mean, there, we've also talked a bit about employment Ontario, but there's there's actually a whole bunch more smaller ones um, that we haven't even had a chance to get into. ODSP has their own small employment supports program as well, um, and for a long time the government has been trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do about this? And there were proposal after proposal uh, under the Liberals. There was a whole employment training service integration idea that kind of ended up going nowhere, um, partly due to pushback from stakeholders um, and just the government not really ever getting it right. Um, so this is this is tricky stuff and, and not doing harm as you try to improve the system uh, is a really important principle in moving forward with this stuff. Um, and and it's like the where, where I find where I have sympathy for the government's challenge is that we do need to do something about this. And the, and, and the whole sort of framework of, of how we need to reform social assistance involves doing things like taking support programs out of. Um, you know, out of the social assistance system itself and making them more available to, to, to people across the province. And so hopefully one of the things that this, this will do is make, uh, you know, employment supports um, more easily accessible, not just through, you know, uh, for, not just for people on Ontario Works, but everybody who needs them, um, who has those special, those additional challenges, I, hopefully a one-stop shop for, for getting your, you know, your A, B or C stream and, and accessing your services. Um, but if we're not doing other aspects of social assistance reform, the ones that Grima you've talked about, then a lot of this doesn't work. Like you, you have to be making sure that 
you're taking, you know, making sure that childcare is available to everybody across the province. You have to be making sure that health benefits are available to everybody across the province. Um, and these, these, the wraparound idea is so, so critical to this. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this is important work, but it, I'm increasingly worried about, um, the lack of, a, of, a. it seems like there's just no understanding of the reality of what these people are facing as individuals and the need to, to support all aspects of their lives and not just the labor market related aspects of their lives. Oh yeah. And, and not to uh, pile on or put too high a point on it, but increasingly one of the, the the things the groom of your paper starts out with is that not only is the government looking to implement these massive changes, but they're looking to do it while taking massive amounts of money out of the system. And if you are looking to do no harm and provide wraparound supports like childcare, those seem to be somewhat incongruous objectives. And so like, some work here is for sure required, but um, I think one of the reasons, I, I, like, it was so hard for the liberal government, and it's hard for this one, is if you know, if you know, if you're not willing to invest in making in the system to do no harm, while you change it, those changes become would seem to me to be really hard. Even the fact that they did three pilots as opposed to just blow up the whole system, which they obviously have shown no um, hesitation <laughs> to do in lots of different Fair places, enough. is would would indicate they know that they don't yet know what they're doing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe there's a glimmer of hope in that. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. that there's a lot to be learned um, from other jurisdictions that have tried very similar things. In Australia, um, this has been happening for the past 30 years, and and outcomes for, for people have been really bad. And the Australian system was subject to a Senate inquiry early last year. And the first recommendation of that Senate inquiry had little to do with actual service provision and who provided it and what were measures for success, but had a lot to do with the level of support that were that was afforded to people living in poverty. And I think for us that that is extremely instructive when we try to understand um, why, despite a booming economy, you know, despite the jobs numbers that this government will will always talk about as a success of their governance, um, does not match up against um, some ag against the needs and realities faced by people living in poverty across the province. All right. Well, Grima, thank you so much for coming on Ontario Loud, uh, writing the paper. Everyone go and read it. Tell us what's it, what it's called one more time because it really sticks oh, in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> the riveting title. System Transformation in Ontario Works, Considerations for Ontario. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I feel like it's been a while since we had a good old-fashioned Ontario deep policy dive. That was certainly one of them, and I loved it. Thank you, Grima, so much for coming on the pod to share your expert knowledge with us. Grima actually followed up with us after the show to let us know that the government actually announced, after we recorded, the winners of the service system manager selection process. So the companies the government is getting to run the pilot in these different areas of the province. One of the winners is Fleming College from Muskoka Cortez. One is FedCap, a U.S.-based not-for-profit organization for Hamilton, Niagara. And for Peel, a private company based in Australia called WCG, a subsidiary of the APM Group, which, like... I don't know if that's like corporate enough for you, certainly corporate enough for me, uh, but it wouldn't be conservative policy without a bit of for-profit in there. 
But this is a pilot, so I guess part of their goal is having a few differently governed organizations run this and seeing how they all do. So we hope it goes well for the communities affected. We will see. Uh, and after we have some results, we might return to the topic. Ontario Loud is Sam Andry, Alexi White, and myself, Chris Martin. We record on the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the New Credit. Alexi is in Vancouver on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh. If you haven't been following the process led by the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, make sure you are doing that. It is a complicated issue, but it is fundamentally important for our country in deciding what country we want to be. Front Burner on CBC has a couple great episodes on it, and there's been a lot of content all over the news, but make sure you're seeking out Indigenous perspectives on this. We will not be seeing you next week. We will be taking a bit of a break uh, for the next week but we will be back the week following with more great Ontario political content we'll miss you during that time bye bye <laughs>